Last week we looked at the perspective of the kingdom and the priority of the kingdom. And we talked about how Jesus taught his people not to worry about tomorrow. Like, don't get all worked up. Don't fret about tomorrow. And this week we're, we're going to look at some characteristics of people of the kingdom. Actually, one specific characteristic. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus opens up with the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. And so in that, in those first uh, several lines, Jesus is describing what the people of his kingdom are like. And he gives a list of them. And one of them is peacemakers, as we'll see. And um, this is a time, as I mentioned last week, when there's so much busyness, shopping, activities, cooking, gift giving, hosting. This is a time that is a delightful time for many people uh, a busy time for many people. Uh, we sing about peace. We, we see advertisement about peace and Christmas cards. And we, we sing peace on earth. And the scriptures that talk about the first Christmas refer to peace, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, uh, to those with whom God is well pleased. And yet, this is a time when many people lack peace. It's, it's ironic that we, we focus on peace, yet this is a time when many folks have very little peace in their soul, in their hearts, in their homes, in their relationships. There's something about this season that tends to magnify and bring to the surface the lack of relational peace that we have with one another, with, with broken relationships within the family, dysfunctional relationships within the family, hurts and wounds, uh, where many of us are, are going to see family members during this time of year. We're going to go see in-laws or, or maybe we won't see them because of past hurts and brokenness and relationships. And so we're going to look at today the theme of uh, being a peacemaker and how God's people, we are called to be peacemakers. And if you would stand with me as we read uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. And that you would lead us in to being peace makers and that we would reflect you well as your children in jesus name amen so here's the big idea this morning this is where we're going god has called his people to display his kingdom on earth by being peacemakers so each one of these added be attitudes uh, or descriptions that jesus gives or characteristics of those who belong to a different kingdom, not the kingdom of this world, not the kingdom of darkness, but they are part of a different kingdom. He described them as being poor in spirit, humble. He described them as being mourners, those who mourn over sin. He described them as being meek, 
He described them as being merciful. He described them as being those who hunger and they thirst for what's right. And he described them as being peacemakers. This was a radical message in Jesus' day, and, and it is in our day as well. There were a lot of zealots in Jesus' day, and Jesus even had followers that were, were zealots. And so there was this, this idea that uh, the zealots had this idea that they were going to fight against the, the Roman government and overtake them through guerrilla warfare, and they would, by force, they would fight and they would win. And yet Jesus came and he said, my kingdom's different, guys. He told Pilate, as he's standing before Pilate, he says, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom's different. It operates different. Jesus brought his kingdom in, in a different way. Instead of being a war maker or a troublemaker, Jesus came as a peacemaker. You know, at Christmas time, there's a, a hymn that, that we sing. I love the, this hymn, Hark the Herald Angel Sing. I believe uh, uh, Charles Wesley wrote it, and, and, it, and it says, in, in one verse, it says, God and sinners reconcile. God and sinners reconciled. That's what Christmas is about. That Jesus came to bring reconciliation between God and man. And Jesus himself is the ultimate peacemaker. God himself is called the, the God of peace. Jesus is called, Isaiah uh, 9, 6, he's called what? The Prince of Peace. There are so many verses on peace and, and how God uh, calls his people to live peaceful lives, peaceful and quiet lives. Before I became a Christian, I was a troublemaker. When I wasn't a part of the kingdom of God, I was a troublemaker. I was walking around with my pants down, carrying a gun in my back pocket, thinking I was cool. I was a wannabe gangster, uh, thinking I was all cool, thinking I was hard, thinking I was tough. I would mad dog folks, you know, like, like you want to fight? What's up, man? You know, thinking I was try, trying to appear tougher than I really was. And that got me into some fights, and I, and I lost, and I won. Uh, some, well, I really didn't win at all. But, um, and so I was a troublemaker. And I remember what it was like to live as a troublemaker, to live a life without peace. I remember what it's like to be somebody who is hostile towards God. And therefore, I was hostile towards other people, anybody that would get in my way, that would mess with me or that would cross my will. That's what life was like for me. While Wilson and I, uh, I was reminded of this yesterday, while Wilson and I were at the Town East Mall sharing the gospel of peace with people, trying to be peacemakers right there in the busyness of this Christmas season and asking people questions about Christmas. Like, well, what do you like about Christmas? What's the meaning of Christmas to you? And we got some video footage of folks answering questions. And, and we would explain why Christ came and, and talk about Christ in Christmas and while we're doing that, there were uh, two young men that just came down the escalator, and they just start throwing down. Boom! They're just fighting right there in the mall. So one of these little youngsters had a had a nine millimeter, and so I said, "Wilson, come on, man, let's get let's get at let's get away, let's get away." You know, this guy's about to shoot, or you know, because it looked like he's about to shoot. There is so much turmoil right now in the world. And to be a peacemaker in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of all the troublemakers, in the midst of all those who are hostile towards God and hostile to their neighbors is countercultural for us. It's like a, a fish swimming upstream. We are called to be that in the midst of turmoil. We're called to be peacemakers and, and not just peacekeepers. 
Okay? It's not like we're... Peacemakers are not those who uh, don't rock the boat, who avoid conflict. Peacemakers address the conflict so that they can help bring about true peace. God has designated and designed his people to be peacemakers. Notice what peacemakers shall be called. What are they called? Sons of God. And, And that includes you too, ladies. Daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God. Children of God. That implies that peacemakers reflect God, the God of peace. Does it not? It it implies that they reflect God. They get this high privilege of reflecting God on earth, the ultimate peacemaker. Okay, so God has designated that for his people. So let's just look at what what is a peacemaker. A peacemaker, uh, English dictionary uh, one dictionary says a, a person or a group or a nation that tries to make peace, especially by recon, reconciling parties who disagree, quarrel or fight. Uh, Craig Keener, a commentator, uh, in his commentary on Matthew says this, that peacemakers mean not only living at peace, but bringing harmony among others. This role requires us to work for reconciliation with spouses, with neighbors, and all people, insofar as the matter is up to us. Peacemakers uh, are the kind of people that you want to be neighbors with. Okay? Peacemakers are the kind, of, it's the kind of spouse that you want to have, husband or wife you want to have, right? Peacemakers are the kind of children you want your children to grow up into, right? They're the kind of folks you want to work with. The kind of the kind of folks you, when you're riding the bus or an airplane, they're, they're the kind of people you want to sit by, right? We want to, we we tend we tend to avoid troublemakers unless we're going to evangelize them, right? Actually, I tend to go towards those guys. Um, and so so peacemakers they bring about harmony. You and I, the Bible says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians five. We have this ministry of bringing about reconciliation through the gospel message. And the gospel message is the basis for making peace with God and man and with one another, as, as we'll look at uh, later. Uh, another definition of a peacemaker, this is a blogger that blogged on Desiring God, and he said that a peacemaker is someone who experiences the peace of God because he is at peace with the God of peace through the Prince of Peace, who indeed is our peace and who therefore seeks to live at peace with all others and proclaims the gospel of peace so that others might have joy and peace in believing. Isn't that good? That's probably my favorite definition. I'll say it again. A peacemaker is someone who experiences the peace of God because he is at peace with God, with the God of peace, through the Prince of Peace, who is indeed our peace and who therefore seeks to live at peace with others and proclaims the gospel of peace so that others might have joy and peace and believing. That's a lot of peace. And so this is what God's called us to. Being a peacemaker starts with being at peace with God. It starts with having this relationship with God made right. Okay? And peacemakers don't seek peace at any price or at all cost. You see, peacemakers don't sacrifice righteousness and truth for the sake of making peace. Now, Jesus was a peacemaker, but in his ministry and in his life, he had a lot of conflict. Did he not? And who did he have conflict with mostly? Religious folks. Religious folks. folks, Self-righteous folks. Legalistic folks. Proud folks. 
folks who thought they knew it all, folks that needed to repent and to change and were unwilling to accept terms of peace from God. Jesus never compromised standards of righteousness or truth when it came to making peace. Okay, but he offered peace. He preached peace, as the scripture says. Uh, and so this is this is what a peacemaker is. A peacemaker, I would distinguish a peacemaker from a peacekeeper. You know, a peacekeeper uh, perhaps will, will avoid conflict and not rock the boat. But being a peacemaker requires you and I to address conflict. And, you know, conflict in relationships, and I'm primarily talking about relational peace here, okay? I, I could talk about all kinds of different aspects of peace, but I'm primarily talking about relational peace here. Uh, uh, conflict is an opportunity for relationships to go deeper. You know, there's something about uh, in relationships when you, when you work through a conflict in a healthy way and you resolve it, there, there, there can be a deepening of that relationship. Right. I mean, I remember one of my, my best friends as a little kid, our, our relationship started with him punching me in the stomach. And, and we, so we got in a fight and we ended up being really, really close friends after that somehow. Like we got past our little macho stuff and 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 we ended up being fr- best friends somehow. I know in, 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 of course, relationship with my wife, if you're married, you know that close relationships are go- going to involve conflict. Conflict's going to come. OK, it's going to come and if you got uh, if you got family, if you got a roommate, if you're just if you're a human being, you're going to have some kind of conflict in life. And these are opportunities for you and I to, to one, be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus Christ to reflect him more. Peacemaker being a peacemaker is an outflow of loving people. OK, being a peacemaker is one way that you and I impact this world after Jesus described the Beatitudes, described the kingdom life in Matthew 5, uh, 2 through uh, 10 or 11. Uh, then he goes into uh, verse 13 and 14. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Peacemakers impact the world. They are salt and light in the world. They make a difference. And again, they're the kind of people that you and I want to be around. We want to be neighbors with. We want our family members to be that. We want to be that for others as well. And so God has designed us for peace and God has demanded that we pursue peace. Okay, there's a lot of scriptures on this. Here's just a couple of them. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. It says, strive for peace with everyone. So then let us pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 14, 18. Romans 12, 18 says, if, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peacefully with all. And so God has designed us to be peacemakers. He's designated us to be peacemakers. He describes his people as peacemakers. He demands that we pursue peace and that we live in peace. And we can do that. That's what his kingdom, that's one element of his kingdom. What it looks like for you and I to have King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, reigning in our heart and reigning in our life is that we have peace. We have peace here and we have peace here. And we, make, and we help make peace here. Instead of bringing ripples of troublemaking, we, we bring ripples of peace in the people's lives. And we do that primarily through the gospel. So what's the basis for making peace with God and with one another? The answer is the gospel. It's the God of peace sent his son Jesus, the prince of peace, 
to die for us, to reconcile us with God and to restore us between one another. Uh, Ephesians 2, 14 through 17 says this. It says, for he himself is our peace. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. He is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Amen. This is powerful. And this is relevant to us because in 2017, one of the things we saw surface in our nation, and it's, it's been there, but one of the things that got surfaced in our nation and made news this year in our nation is racism or racial disharmony in our nation. Did it not get spotlighted? And it grieves me. It grieves me, especially that anybody that would name the name of Christ would justify racist behavior, racist language, because the gospel of Jesus Christ tears that down in our lives and in our hearts. It deals with the racism in our hearts. It deals with the hatred, the hostility, not only between us and God. As Romans 5 says, we were enemies of God and we were reconciled through Jesus Christ by faith. Through his blood shed on the cross, we were reconciled to God, but then we're reconciled to one another through the cross, through the gospel message. And so there's no room for racial disunity in the body of Christ. God desires and wants all of his children to get along and to love each other, right? I know as a dad, it grieves my heart when my children fight and bicker and when they attack each other i mean sometimes i'm surprised i'm like whoa did she just do that to him or whatever you know i'm like i'm I'm surprised by the hostility that can just surface like that from these precious little children i mean my my kids are sinners and they need a savior just as much as daddy is a sinner needs a savior you know and and that is in the human heart and you see, that's the biggest barrier. That's the biggest problem when it comes to peacemaking is that we are by nature sinners. We are by nature, by nature selfish, prideful, judgmental. And we'll look at a, a list of barriers that, that, that we face in making peace. But the gospel deals with this. The gospel tears those walls down. This is uh, referring to in, in verse 15 uh, verse 14 there it's referring to jew and gentile there was a deep disunity between jew and gentile and there still is today but but the gospel tore this down and we see the early church made up we see jews and gentiles eating together and worshiping together and praising god together all because of jesus he tears that down amen so the gospel does this, and we want to be gospel-centered, and we, we want to reflect heaven here in our diversity, and, and we want the, the gospel to tear down walls that, that, that don't need to be up in our lives and in our hearts, and we want our church to reflect that, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's uh, ethnic diversity, whether it's um, 
uh, even some some theological preferences, you know, if we have or, or whether it's age, that that we would be able to look up look past the peripheral issues and and be united on the central gospel truths. That we would have unity, that we would have love. There's there's a quote uh, I think it's by Augustine. It says that unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and all things charity. That's a philosophy, a ministry philosophy that we have here. We're united on what's essential and what's true. We're not going to compromise truths of the Bible, core truths of the Bible. And we're not going to major on the minors and let those divide us. We're going to have some liberty and having some diversity on the minors here. And, and above all, we're going to have love for one another, charity for one another. Amen? Okay, so the, the answer is the gospel of peace. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself uh, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So how does Jesus make peace with God and man and with all things? How does he reconcile and restore and bring redemption? Making peace by the blood of the cross. The gospel is the key. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you need to be gospel-centered. You need to let the gospel sink deep in your heart and your mind. You need to know it. You need to proclaim it. You need to let the gospel deal with your problem of sin. And then you need to share it with others so it can deal with their problems of sin as well. Uh, Colossians 3.13 says that we're to bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, we are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is powerful. This might, I think this might help somebody today. Those words right there. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's the gospel effect on somebody's life. That's the ripple effect of what happens when you get it. When the gospel goes from here to here and it comes out through your life, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, this, this is what it looks like to live out the gospel here. To forgive. as we, Even when the other people that we're forgiving don't deserve it. Did we deserve to be forgiven by God? We didn't. And that might help you forgive others too. When you think about your own great offense towards God, it's much bigger than whatever petty offense that another person has. So, so here's some barriers. Let's look at some barriers here. Um, pride and selfishness. And by the way, the Pharisees were like the opposite of peacemakers. These guys were just like making things worse. Jesus said that. Like Jesus unloaded on these guys in Matthew 23. And he's like, he just lays it on them. And, and by the way, they were asking for it. It's not like Jesus was going after these guys. They were going after him. They get Jesus backed up into a corner. And he's like, okay, guys, I'm going to just boom, 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 boom. And he lets them have it. And he lets them know that, man, your father's the devil, guys. You guys don't love God. You don't love me. Uh, you guys are whitewashed tombs and so on. And he just goes on. And these guys are examples, uh, negative examples that we don't want to follow, right? Uh, and so some of the hindrances of, of relational peace is pride and selfishness. So our pride and selfishness damages relationships. And so in pride and selfishness, by the way, when there's an offense, when there's dysfunction in the relationship, pride is kind of that wall that, that kind of barricades reconciliation from happening. Like, 
Like a lot of times you've got to humble yourself before you can take those steps of reconciliation. You've got to let go of your pride, let go of your selfishness. You've got to die to yourself to follow Jesus and, and, to, and to bring be a peacemaker. Uh, blind spots, um, judgment, judgments that we've made on people. There's misunderstanding with that. Offenses, legalism, hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness. Jesus was um, talking about divorce, and, and, and one of the things he mentioned uh, about that when he was asked about that, he said, you know, because of your hardness of heart, this is such an issue. So these are some barriers. There's a book, by the way, I want to recommend. And in the book, there's this, um, it's called Peacemakers by Ken Sandy. Um, and if you want to go deeper on this topic, and this is something you really want to dig into and just kind of work towards, maybe you've got some relationships that, like, you really need to apply some, some gospel principles here uh, and, and, and fight for peace in the relationships. This is, this is a uh, highly recommended book. There's some great authors that would recommend this as well. Uh, but I got this chart here from, uh, from the book. So it's called The Slippery Slope. And if you look at it there, there's, there's, there's a couple different responses we can have when it comes to, uh, to conflict, when we face conflict. Uh, one of them is called uh, peace faking. So we could be peace fakers. Okay? And these are all escape responses. Okay? So there's denial. There's flight. Just run. Just, just avoid the conflict. There's suicide. Just you know, okay. So these are extremes. Okay. On the other side of the streams, there there's assault. So not just physical, but there's verbal assault. You know, you're going to verbally assault somebody and cut them down with your words. By the way, Jesus connected murder with that. Like you don't call somebody you fool or idiot or stupid. Litigate litigation. Thank you. Um, taking legal action. We're going to sue their pants off. Right. Like. Like that, that happens today. There's, there's a lot of suing going on back and forth. And I think Christians should, should not be in that so much. Uh, there's sometimes where you can't, you can't avoid it, right? It's going to happen. But, but we shouldn't be leading the way in that, all right, and taking legal action. Uh, murder, that's an attack response. So there's peace faking and then there's peace breaking. Okay, we want to be on the, the middle part here. Peace making responses okay we don't want to slip off the slope here so in in the peacemaking responses there's responses of overlooking a a failure overlooking an offense like giving grace like like understanding that you know they're going through a hard season right now or whatever and you overlook it Uh, reconciliation where you seek reconciliation negotiation uh, mediation adjudication thank you all these legal terms here (laughs) accountability and, and so, um, so these are some responses that we can have that are biblical responses for peacemakers. We want to be those who we don't run from the conflict and we don't overdo it when we're trying to address the conflict. But we want to be those, as Ephesians 4.15 says, we speak the truth in love. We deal with conflict biblically and we deal with it lovingly. We deal with it humbly and we face it. And again, these moments when we're in conflict, whether it's marital, whether it's with our children, uh, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's with a neighbor, these are opportunities for us to grow. These are opportunities for you and I to live out the gospel. Do we really believe what we say we believe? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay? Because we can say we love God all we want at church. 
and to other people we know, but on the ground level, are we walking that out? Are we loving people around us? This is what it looks like to be a Christ follower and to be a peacemaker. So I want to give some, some practical steps, and, and these are from, uh, from Ken Sandy's book, uh, Peacemakers. So how do you make peace? What, what are some practical things that you do? First of all, uh, as he points out in, in his book, you, you get the log out of your own eye. Okay, you continue it towards the end of Jesus' sermon. Jesus gives us steps for making peace in his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but, but one of the first things you do, look at verse 5. Well, I'll just read the whole thing. It says, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you, look, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother... Let me take that speck out of your eye. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay. Now, a lot of times this this verse is quoted out of context. And we'll hear somebody say, you shouldn't judge. Why are you judging me? Conflict resolution and addressing conflict may come across as like a, a, a judgmental thing. It's not always the case uh, because there is a legitimate place for us to try to help and take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye if they have a speck in their eye, right? But there's a priority here first. If we're going to do that successfully without bringing more damage, we need to first what? Take the log out of our own eye. And so the idea is if you've got a log in your own eye, you've got a bigger problem and you can't see clearly and you're trying to help your brother or sister get the speck out of their own eye, right? So it doesn't work. And so what does that look like? So our, our sinful behaviors can be a log in our own eye. If we have sinful patterns, hurtful patterns, hurtful uh, ways that we relate to others, in, being inconsiderate, unkind, impatient, judgmental, harsh, you know, just sinful behaviors. And then a, another aspect of it is, as, as Ken Sandy points out in his book, is, is there can be an oversensitivity a log in your own eye could be an oversensitivity towards others, maybe because of your own brokenness and your own wounds, and you're just way too easy to offend. And everybody feels like they're walking on eggshells around you because they don't want to offend you. Okay, That's a log in your own eye, too, when that's the case. And so if you're going to see clearly so that you can help your brother or sister remove the log out of their eye or the speck, you gotta, you got to examine yourself and you, got, you, need, you need healing of your own hurts and your own brokenness. And again, the gospel is the answer. The gospel is the hope for this. Because the, through the gospel, we're forgiven of our sins. We're freed up from our sins. Our guilt and the burden and the condemnation for our sins are removed. And then we're freed up to give grace and to give mercy and to be patient with others and bear with others, forgive and forbear with others. That's what healthy gospel-centered relationships look like. And so we got to get the log out of our own eye. Uh, we need to be willing to deal with our own hearts before God. And then we need to go to our brother or sister. We need to go to the offended party. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay, so verse 23. What, is, what does this sound like here in verse 23? You're offering your gift at the altar. What does that sound like? 
Worship. That's a good thing. Bring your gift to the altar. Worship God. Praise God. But here in this, this verse, Jesus is putting priority uh, he's putting priority on the relationship that needs to be reconciled because if we don't do this, then our worship our worship will be surface. It could be hypocritical. It could be vain. And it could be dry and crusty and a big disconnect with God because we have an issue with the brother or sister that we need to go to. All right? Those of you who are married, uh, you know, it says in First Peter Three, it says, for husbands to dwell with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. So a lack of peace and harmony within the marriage relationship can hinder your prayers, can hinder your worship life, having a vibrant worship life and prayer life with the Lord. And so Jesus puts priority here on going to the offended party. And it works both ways. Whether, whether, uh, whether you think somebody else is offended with you or... If they offend you, like they literally do, look at this in verse uh, chapter 18. Um, he teaches us to go to the offender. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And brother or sister here, okay? Go and tell him his fault. Like, just let's pause on that for a second because that's much easier said than done. Right. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, Right? I think we know this. I think we know we're supposed to do this. But this takes some courage. We may need to pray. We need courage from God. We need wisdom from God. We need help from God to do this well and ask for his guidance. But, and it says, first, go and tell him between him and him alone. So we don't post it on Facebook. We don't post it on next door. You know, those neighbors, you know. We go, we go to the neighbor, the, the, the one, who, the offender themselves. So Jesus is teaching us here, like, try to keep it, keep as, as least many people involved as need to be involved. Unless they, unless they have to be involved, then you go and, and bring another brother or sister involved, right? And I think this is definitely applicable to the church, referring to folks within the church. These are relationships within the church. Uh, but it, but if he does not listen, Take one or two others with you and that, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses then to listen to even the church, let him be as a Gentile and as a tax collector. And so this is a process of, um, of church discipline. This is a process. And the aim in this is for restoration of relationship. It's not to punish somebody. It's not to hurt somebody. It's not to shame somebody, but the the aim of this is to restore the relationship. You see, peacemakers work through the conflict in order to make true peace. If there's not peace, we don't don't act like the elephant's not in the room, right? right? Peacemakers don't act like the elephant's not in the room. If there's some damaging behavior and actions that are happening by by somebody, and it's and it's it's creating turmoil, it's creating hurt, it's creating chaos. And so we go to the offender, and then lastly, we gently restore. We gently, gently restore. Uh, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in it, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you also become tempted. And so we should do so in a spirit of gentleness. Don't make the wound even deeper. Don't make the problem even deeper by going in the wrong spirit to try to address conflict and be like, I'm just going to tell him like it is. Lay it on them, right? So we need to be gracious. We need to be humble. Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
And we need to be full of grace and truth. We need to gently restore. This is a, by the way, this is a mark of maturity. This is, a mark, this is what it looks like to grow into a mature re, a Christian. And when you live like this, when you can face conflict and deal with relationships like this, this it's maturity. You, you don't just speak the truth. You speak the truth in love. You don't just love somebody and never speak the truth. You address the problem, the issue of unrighteousness, the issue of sin. And you speak the truth in love. And that's where we want to be. That's where we want to go. So I'm sure somebody's thinking this. Well, what do you do if you did all those steps? You went through it. You, you obeyed Jesus. But they didn't. The, the other party did not forgive or the other party did not repent the other party did not accept the terms for peace that the gospel offers what do you do huh does anybody did anybody have that question was anybody thinking about that i, I love in romans romans 12 the way romans 12 puts it when it, when uh, paul's calling the church to pursue peace he says as much as depends on you verse 18 if possible If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Romans 12, 8. You see, there are times when we can do everything. Even Jesus himself had people that were his enemies, and they remained his enemies even after his death. Okay? And Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus wasn't sinning, and he wasn't causing trouble because of sin. He was the ultimate peacemaker, and he had enemies. And Jesus taught, love your enemies. Do good to those who harm you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Paul said at the end of Romans 12, he said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't don't take vengeance into your own hands. God says he will repay. He'll take care of it. You can leave it up to God. If, If the person that you're seeking restoration with won't accept terms of peace, they won't reconcile the relationship, you can still lay your head down on your pillow at night and go to sleep with peace. Okay, You can have peace in your heart by obeying Jesus' steps, by doing what he said, by his gospel, letting his blood cleanse you of your sin, you acknowledging your sin before mm-hmm. him. And maybe you have 10% of the issue and the conflict and the other person has 90 Okay, and addressing the conflict, make sure you you bring up your ten percent. Like address it. If it's if it's just ten percent, if it's just a little tiny thing that you said, a little manner in which you said something that needs to be addressed, make sure you address that that ten percent. Own your part. Make sure your conscience is clear before God. Apply the gospel to yourself, and then seek to apply the gospel to that relationship if they're willing to accept the terms. If they're willing to uh, restore the relationship. And so we're called to, to live in this church. This is what it looks like to love people. This is what it looks like to make an impact on our world. And so in closing, here's just a couple, couple of recap points of um, uh, application here. Begin being a peacemaker first by finding peace with God through faith in Jesus. This is key. This is foundational. You can try to be a peacemaker without knowing Jesus and it's, you're not going to be effective. You need this, this relationship with God to be right. You need to know him. You need the hostility and the animosity between you and God removed by what Jesus did on the cross for you. And you accepting that. You believing that. You receiving that. And you acknowledging before a holy God that you've sinned against him. You've offended him. 
You have broken his law. You deserve death. But as Wilson said earlier, the Father has paid for it by sending his Son. He paid the costly price for us. Christ has paid the price for us by dying for our sins. So bring your offenses to the cross. Whether the ones that you commit or whether the ones that are committed against you, bring them to the cross. Don't let unforgiveness steal your peace this Christmas. Don't, don't let unforgiveness and bitterness and offense fester inside your heart to where you're not able to enjoy life. To where it eats away at your health, your emotional stability. It puts pressure on all your relationships. Don't let the enemy steal the enjoyment of the grace of life by holding on to unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison. Holding unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping that it's going to hurt the other person. I mean, it's foolish. Like, why do we do it? Why do we hold on to it? It's not going to fix anything. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to help us. It's not going to help the relationship. And so we may need a, you know, if we can't, if we can't reconcile a relationship, we may need to uh, pray for them, continue to pray for them, forgive them. And it may be an ongoing process for us that we forgive, we forgive, we love, we bless, we pray, we extend uh, mercy and grace. Be a peacemaker by resolving conflict lovingly and biblically. Ephesians 4.15. Uh, speak the truth in love, as we already talked about here, applying Jesus's um, uh, commands to, to make peace and reconciliation. And then lastly, be a peacemaker by sharing the gospel of peace with others. This is a great time of year to go share the gospel with folks. There are people that don't have peace with God, that need hope, that need peace, that need forgiveness, that need light in their life. December 12th, 1998, I became a Christian and I found peace with God. And it was like this heavy backpack of bricks was lifted off of me. I was carrying around so much guilt, so much pain, shame, anger, hurt. And when I found peace with God through putting my faith in Jesus, it was like God lifted that off of me and it felt good. It felt better than any drug, any high, any, any, any worldly pleasure that I had experienced. And yet it was clean. I woke up the next day without a hangover. Uh, it was clean. It was pure. And, and then my family took notice like, God, there's something different about you, you know, and that's, what it looks like to, to find peace with God. He, he, he changes your heart. He takes, he takes a murderer and he makes him a loving person. He takes a thief and makes her a giver. He takes a liar and makes him a preacher of truth. He takes an immoral young man or woman and they, he makes them pure and righteous before him. That's what it looks like to have peace with God, to have salvation from God. If you all would bow with me and pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of peace that is the basis for our reconciliation and peace with you and with one another. And this Christmas season, as we see family, as we encounter others who are hurting because of dysfunctional family dynamics and broken relationships, may we be peacemakers. Your kingdom is 
righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And again this morning, I ask that for City Church Garland. That righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit would flood our lives like wave upon wave in and through our lives into the lives of others. And you would extend your reign through us. As the worship team leads us in this next song, um, and you want prayer this morning, I'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. Those around you would love to pray for you. If you're here and you don't have peace with God, you know you don't have peace with God. You don't have peace in your heart. You don't have peace in relationships. And you want that. And you want to take that step. And you want to surrender to the God of peace, to the Prince of Peace. And you want to let Him come in and have His way in your heart. Would you respond just simply by raising your hand and saying, That's me. I want that. I need that. If you're willing to take that step.